wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rose, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're going to be mine. Here's Jonathan Hood. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast as always. Every Tuesday we'll give you the best in pro wrestling conversation slash sports entertainment. On the show today we'll get a chance to hear from Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net. We'll get his thoughts about some of the storylines around professional wrestling. And also I'll ask him... The match of the year so far in 2020. We're getting close here to the end of the year. So I'm going to ask him his thoughts about the match of the year, his thoughts about Zelina Vega. Also, I want to reach out to him about AEW. We're a year plus into AEW. What does he think about AEW and so much more? With Jason Powell, my buddy from the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, Minnesota. My AWA brother. Also, we will... Here from, for the first time in over 20 years, if you're into World Championship Wrestling, if you're watching WCW back in the day, before the NWO, there was a man named Jim Hurd. Jim Hurd was the head of World Championship Wrestling before Eric Bischoff. And we will talk to, or hear from, Jim Hurd. From adfreeshows.com, Conrad Thompson tracked him down. Conrad Thompson, really big time wrestling podcaster, as you well know. He tracked down Jim Hurd. And Jim Hurd is talking on the record for the first time in well over 20 years about Ric Flair, about Sid Vicious. An interesting story about Jim Hurd and Sid Vicious that you got to hear. Thoughts on Ole Anderson and Dusty Rhodes and so much more. So I paid for this interview, just so you know. Ad-free shows is not cheap. (laughs) So I paid for this interview to hear it and then to play some snippets of it for you 
the wrestling fan. So I'm doing you a favor. This is my holiday gift to you. Paying to hear this interview because I was very interested to hear what Jim Hurd has to say. The guy's in his 80s now, uh, but he has some memories of working for Ted Turner and WCW. So we'll get to that and a lot more in this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. But first, my conversation with Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net. We'll hear from Jason right now, right here on TWT. If someone, as we have our conversation, if someone goes to ProWrestling.net, Jason, what would they find? Well, you'll find a live coverage of all the major television shows and pay-per-view events, and then we have news updates throughout the day. I write hit lists with the uh, hits and misses when it comes to the various shows as well. So uh, basically, if you need a wrestling fix in some way, shape, or form, we've got you covered. want to uh, get your thoughts. We have not spoken in a while because now we're a year into AEW Dynamite. What are your thoughts on the state of AEW over a year now? You know, I think they're in a really good place. I, I think maybe they go a little crazy with uh, signing the number of people that they have mm-hmm. for you know a company that just has two hours currently, and it sounds like they'll be bumping that up into a third hour at some point in 2021. But as far as the weekly television series is concerned, I, I enjoy it. I think they do a really nice job. Um, one pay-per-view that was a little underwhelming. The others, including the, the most recent one, have been very good. So I, I think they WWE needed competition, and I think AEW is providing it. I, I think that when I look at AEW, Jason, I'm just concerned that there's a possibility that Tony Khan has not learned from what he saw himself as a young man growing up watching WCW. Um, you, you put on ProWrestling.net, that there's going to be, what is it, 17 matches on their dark program, their digital program on YouTube? I mean, that's that's a ton. And I would say that if there's going to be a third hour, especially if it's attached to Dynamite, that could be dangerous only because you're a young, you're a young company and you're still trying to get over the one million threshold on a, on a weekly basis. You know, is it too much too soon or should they grow gradually? I, you know, so... You're, you're preaching to the choir on dark. I don't understand the mentality of 17, for the most part, squash matches. Um, they claim they use it as their developmental to kind of get a look at different people. And to that I say, it's okay to have actual dark matches where you don't televise them. Yes. Um, 17 matches, I mean, you could seriously get like a month's worth of AEW dark programming uh, instead of just you know doing... Um, one show, you could get four shows out of that with ease. I, I, yeah, that part baffles me. I don't get it. I think, you know, obviously no one's required to watch it. There is a super fan out there who might enjoy that. But, I mean, I have a guy who covers the show and was really looking forward to covering it, and he just cringes. He, you know, once the uh, the count comes out now, like, it is, how, long this, how long is this show going to be? And now they're going north of two hours for the, the dark program. I personally, I, I think... I, I, I encourage everyone, unless you're really into dark for some reason, do what I do. Just ignore it. Pretend it doesn't exist and just watch Dynamite. <laughs> you can't say that. I guess you just did say that. I did. I, because, I mean, honestly, there's, yeah, ignore will it. I watch it from time to time? Sure. But, I mean, there's just so much content on We can't keep up with everything. And if it was an hour-long show, I'd make time for it. But when you start going two hours north with a bunch of uh, squash matches, I, what, yes, it's it's nice to see some of these people, but... 
if you just kind of have to assume that if they're truly good, they're going to find their way to dynamite. I would like to, to send Tony Khan some videos of WCW, WCW Thunder. You just yes. gotta be care- you got to be careful of this, Jason. Like, you can't be overexposed. Now, I understand that's on YouTube and it's this different deal, but I still think just from the nuts and bolts standpoint, you've just got to be able to tighten up your main program on TNT. And I'll give you an example. So, and here, I can't be too hard on them because it's, we've saw WCW at the beginning where it's the Dungeon of Doom, all these guys that Hogan was uh, comfortable with, and it was kind of a silly cartoonish thing, but Hogan was taking care of Kevin Sullivan's Dungeon of Doom, and it wasn't great programming until we got to the NWO era of the Bischoff regime. But I would say this, like in the first, you know, after the first year, I've always seen a, a three turns from Matt Hardy. Is, 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 is Matt Hardy a heel now? The, the Will Hobbs. Will Hobbs was a babyface for a second until, and now he's powerhouse Hobbs, and now he's a heel. Like you, you can't turn that quickly because you want people to be able to have a connection to whatever new faces you see in the company, and just haphazardly going from babyface to heel and back and forth. It's like, well, wait a minute, now you, you, I, my head's a whipsaw. What are you trying to accomplish as as a company, and what stories are you trying to tell? Jonathan, you're forgetting the biggest one. Brandy Rhodes is like turned three times in a week before. That, oh, it's ridiculous. It is. I, I don't understand that part of it. So I think Hardy's just try, kind of trying to find the next thing. Um, I, I suspect that's what's happening, and I wish he'd commit to something. Hobbs I'm a little more patient with. He was a guy that actually did stand out on Dark. They signed him to a deal, and then they've been kind of telling the story that he was recruited by Taz's group. And so you know, we really didn't get much with him on dynamite but it was just kind of that waiting period of what's he going to do and now that he's a heel i mean let's just hope that he stays there for for the foreseeable future there's no reason to turn him but yeah they do have some issues with just you know just too many turns and things and and i do think you know in some cases you're i'm i'm reluctant to tell him to slow down because look at all their major storylines uh so many of their stories now are just these ridiculously long storylines it's like you're still waiting for them to play out so you got to kind of take it on a case-by-case basis but i mean it just it's taken forever for this whole kenny omega thing to play out i i think it's still going with hangman page there's a lot of storyline i'm all for long-term storytelling but you got to have the right pacing and, and i think that's an area where they do struggle um, I know you've been on these calls before with uh, with Cody Rhodes, his conference calls he has from time to time, and he mm-hmm. said on several occasions that the, the babyface heel concept of wrestling is a tired trope. Can the business survive without it, without being able to distinguish, distinguish who you root for and who you do not? Can it survive? Sure. Is it the most profitable, getting rid of babyfaces and heels? I would argue no. I think there is an audience that doesn't seem to mind. Um, they're just happy to see a match. They want to see a great match. They don't even care necessarily who's babyface heel. And I think you and I came up differently. You know, it, we came up in an era where it, there were definitive lines there. You knew who the babyface was. You knew who the heel was, and, and that's all it took. And I, I think there's a bit of re. I, I just think they're they're trying too hard to get over something new when it's like the tried and true is tried and true for a reason stick with it you don't need to reinvent the wheel 
I think that's fair. It's, it's definitely fair to say. Um, you know, it's interesting. Back in the day, in the 80s, there was Jesse Ventura, Jesse the Body Ventura, in your state of Minnesota, by the way, out of your mm-hmm. state of Minnesota, saying that he would love to see professional wrestling unionized. And the story is is that that started to go around the locker room, and Hulk Hogan uh, informed Vince McMahon that Jesse the Body Ventura was thinking about how the boys could be able to unionize in professional wrestling. Well, of course, Vince didn't like that, and of course, there's always this disconnect between Ventura and McMahon ever since. And so here we are, we fast forward to 2020, Jason, and here we are with Zelina Vega, the former Zelina Vega from the WWE, and you know she's really trying to push the idea of uh, professional wrestling unionizing and Andrew Yang. Uh, and I, I'm interested to find out whether or not Yang will be part of the Biden administration because I would imagine the slings and arrows would be pointed right at McMahon and the lack of um, uh, of, of union in the WWE. What do you think of Vega, that whole fallout, and what do you think that will come from it? Uh, good for her, number one, for uh, you know having the guts to do that. You know, it's funny you think of uh, just a, a WWE locker room with all these you know big bad wrestlers, and it takes the the lowest woman on that roster to, to stand up for herself the way she yeah. did. And in part, it's because she makes more money doing her third party accounts than she actually did working for WWE. So you can kind of understand the frustration of uh, of her saying, "I'm doing this under my real name." I should be able to do this, and it should be my money, where they want her to sign everything over and they'll give her a cut. And I, ultimately, though, I don't know what happens here. Um, Andrew Yang is going to push for it, whether he... I, I, you know, everything I've seen, I think we'll find out the cabinet here shortly, but I, I don't see him listed for the Department of Labor or the uh, Secretary of Labor position in a lot of more online speculation pieces, but he also said at the time, if he's not in that position, he'll most likely have the number of the person who is. So I think he's going to push this, and I think that, unfortunately, is the best that the wrestlers have, because I don't think enough wrestlers are going to follow through on this the way Zelina Vega has. And and I don't know Zelina, so I'm just guessing here, but somebody asked me once if I thought she would be blackballed from the industry. And, and my answer was very simple. Like, I don't think it's going to happen because I think if she is given what she wants outside WWE, I just don't know that she's going to pursue uh, unionization. If, if AEW, for instance, hired her and, and made it clear to her that, look, we're going to let you keep your third-party things and you're going to keep all that money and we're not going to come after you for that, does she still have that same interest in unionization or is she happy now with her deal, and so she kind of backs off, and, and that's kind of been the way in the pro wrestling industry. There have been a, there have been have been other times where undercard talent, the lesser paid talent, has been interested in doing something like this, but the companies keep the top end people happy enough that they don't get on board, and so that always makes it really difficult if you don't have the support from some of your top end people. To, to really make this work, it's just easy for a company to say, well, so-and-so on bottom who's pushing for this, eh, we're not going to say why, but we're going to get rid of you. And, and so until there's enough real support from you know, inside the industry, I do think your, your best bet, unfortunately, right now is, is Yang or somebody outside the industry really trying to enforce this. Uh, I'm very just very curious of what that looks like, Jason, in the in the near future. And I would, as I take a look at AEW and I take a look at other uh, companies and independents, this is not an issue where there are wrestlers that are allowed to have third party uh, income. Correct. Correct. Yes. Uh, so AEW is letting their talent do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as far as like if they want to have a YouTube show or a podcast or uh, be on Cameo. That, that's been a big one for uh, Zelina Vega was uh, the Cameo and then the Twitch accounts also. And even NXT right now, the talent, like Adam Cole still has a Twitch page that's in his name. Uh, it's something with the main roster, WWE only. But if you're outside WWE, so far, you know, Tony Khan seems to have indicated that he wants the wrestlers to go ahead and keep that. And, and I haven't really seen any other company try to enforce it. So it's very much a WWE thing right now. want to get your thoughts on The Undertaker's legacy. Uh, I believe he's done. I, I believe he is. Unless he looks back at Survivor Series and says, you know, I didn't put my right foot in front of my left. I might want to come back for Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, as he sits against a cold wall in the locker room saying, don't know, Vince. I think you might need me next year. What, what do you think overall of, of The Undertaker's legacy from where he was as Mean Mark in WCW to where he is right now over all those years uh, working for Vince? Uh, one of the greatest. I mean, just uh, you think about the longevity, um, the character. I still remember when that character was introduced, there was a lot of you know, newsletter reading, smart wrestling fans, whatever you want to call these people who just thought this was terrible and it wasn't going to work. And here we are all these years later. And I give him so much credit for reinvention. It's, yes, he you know played the dead man for most of his run. And I'm not even talking about necessarily American Badass and some of the other characters that he played. I mean, they were timely. He was smart to do it. But ultimately, the reinvention came in the form of Worker Taker. You know, he, you go back and watch those early WrestleMania matches, they're nothing to write home about. You know, they're nothing from a match quality standpoint, because they didn't need to be. But as time went on, he adapted. And you, then you go into those later WrestleManias with Shawn Michaels and Triple H, and the list goes on. And he went out there, and his goal was to steal the show, because it was a time where he needed to do that. And, and I think he did it probably longer than he needed to, to try to have that show-stealing performance, because I do think there's an audience that would be totally satisfied just getting the greatest hits from him if it meant they could see him once a year at WrestleMania. But you have to respect a guy with that kind of work ethic that that wasn't good enough for him. So locker room leader, in every sense of the word, just uh, you know, Vince's... Uh, most trusted employee over the years, or not employee because an independent contractor, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm thinking that uh, he would have been a success um, no matter what, but I just think that it, it, it's enhanced because of Percy Pringle, because of Paul Bearer. I think Absolutely. That, that, imagine that character for 20-plus years, 30 years, with uh, Brother Love or Ted DiBiase. Probably not as good, right? No, no. I mean, Bill Moody, Percy Pringle... Paul Bear, whatever you want to call him, I mean, was just a perfect addition to that act. He did such a good job with it. And, I mean, how crazy is it that the guy was a real-life mortician before wrestling? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It was perfect. It was just a perfect story uh, for The Undertaker and, and for Paul Bearer. Uh, I want to get your thoughts about, you know, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I saved this question just in, in particular for you regarding what wrestling looks like after the pandemic, right? Because mm -hmm. once we're on the other side of this, what does the wrestling crowds look like? Um, and in my mind, Jason, I'm thinking, does the WWE start off as a Northeast promotion again like it was in the early 90s? Or is, are, are, as we gradually get back into some normalcy here, do we look like, does the WWE look like it, the early Raws, you know, from high school gyms, and then they gradually start moving across the country? Or do they, do they start with a bang? Knowing Vince, he's going to want to start with a bang. And I think the place most likely to let him do this would be Florida 
or just some of the other states where they're a little more open. They don't have as many restrictions. Um, so I could see him doing that. I don't think, you know, if, if so if COVID is still an issue and, and he's wanting to do shows with fans in attendance, I think I don't think it's going to go back to like high school gyms. I think it's more likely you'll see fans scattered about some smaller venues, maybe, maybe even full-size venues where they're just kind of scattered like you see at certain NFL games and, and they're socially distanced. That might be the way they're reintroduced. But if he waits until, you know, the vaccine is widely distributed and they get the all clear, oh, he's going to want to do it with the bang. And, and I'm curious to see what it's like then. I mean, obviously, and unfortunately, not everyone's going to have, not everyone's going to be in a great position financially because of the pandemic, but there's going to be a real appetite for, you know, all forms of entertainment for people to be able to get out there and see concerts and games and wrestling again. And so WWE might be able to capitalize on that initial rush, even though house shows aren't a huge part of their plan going forward, uh, just because they make so much money from TV now that they're not as necessary. But if there's an, if they sense there's early interest in that, I think they're going to be all over it. So, so no uh, shows from Bangor, Maine or Nashua, New Hampshire. I mean, you never say never with him, but I I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, these smaller venues, as they were struggling, hemorrhaging money, putting Dirk the Clown on top. Um, I I want to also take a look at uh, NXT. Now, for my taste, Jason, NXT is, for me, the better show on Wednesday nights as far as uh, bell to bell, the, sure. the in-ring product. And I know that, again, for some wrestling fans, that's not for everybody. And from the number standpoint that you put out there on ProWrestling.net, clearly there's the audience that wants to see the unexpected from AEW over what I prefer, which is the bell to bell. What are your, your thoughts on NXT? Is it, is it the same, better, or, or worse uh, from a year ago? I would say it may be slightly worse, but it's still a very good product. You know, I, I think they've tried to run into, I mean, some of it obviously is pandemic and you know, running without fans. I think that makes everybody a little bit worse. But take, just putting that aside from a quality standpoint, it's been a bit of, you know, kind of a year of change for them. They lost so many people to the main roster. They were trying to get, you know, it was awkward to see Johnny Gargano work, go from, uh, being Mr. NXT and, and the ultimate babyface to being heel, and it, it took some time, but it's really worked. They tried to get Champ over as a heel, and I, I really didn't understand it because he was so, so good as a babyface, and it looks like they've kind of figured that out now. And they've had to reintroduce or just or introduce a lot of different people, losing Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, as they always do. And, and, and Paul, that Triple H will say that's one of their advantages is they do have that turnover. Yeah, it may you know kind of be a, a bummer in the moment, and it puts them in awkward positions at times. But I, in a perfect world, they're never going to get stale because they're always going to be cycling new people in. And I think one of the advantages AEW has over NXT when it comes to viewers is I think there's a younger audience that wants their own. They want to be able to, and if there was no such thing as AEW, I think those same fans would be flocking to NXT because it's different. It's not the WWE established product, but because there is a real alternative with a lot of younger talent it feels like it's their own. They're seeing it from the beginning. It's not their older brothers or their dad's product. It's their own. Lastly, Jason, I really appreciate your time. Do you have a highlight of 2020 in wrestling for you, a match that resonates with you most? Oh, man. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, so everything that happened pre-pandemic was probably better. Yes. Um, I, I do have, I have one in mind, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed... Drew McIntyre um, winning the Rumble. I, I was hoping that he would and was thrilled that he did. And, and the fact that they went all the way with him was, was great. 
I, I think so. If it's not a match, if we're talking match, just an in ring, then ooh, let's see what they do Wednesday on Dynamite because Omega and Moxley is going to be great. But Young Bucks and FTR is up there, and then just from an overall standpoint, um, it wouldn't be the Taker thing so much. I, I gosh, I'm trying to really think of what would stand out uh, what stood out this year because it is such a strange year for that May, uh, gosh it might even be the Drew McIntyre Roman Reigns match at Survivor Series I know some people didn't like it because it didn't have a clean finish but that's a potential Wrestlemania main event it shouldn't have a clean finish yeah I agree with you I, I would say that uh, for my money so far and again we'll see what happens in December uh, I guess in this pandemic era of wrestling, I'm going uh, Walter Dragonoff from NXT UK. Oh, sure. There you go. That's a that good thing, one, too. Woof. Yeah. In any era, that thing is quality. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, man, it's a shame. I mean, it, it's certainly good for NXT UK, mm-hmm. but it's a shame Walter doesn't want to do more here. You know, he's just, uh, he's a European guy, and that's where he wants to live, and you, I can't blame him for it, but just as an American fan, we're always going to be left wondering, what if this guy just committed? What if he wanted to come over for a couple of years? And I, so far, I mean, maybe he will, but so far he just isn't interested. Yeah, Walter would be in a, in a tutu dancing for Vince. That's why he doesn't want to come <laughs> there over. There is Vince. that possibility. <laughs> That's it. I'd be afraid to do that, too. I want to be taken seriously. That guy's a young Andre. All those old films we saw of Andre, like, wow, he's got that, he's got that build of a sure. school wrestler. He can... He, Jason, he he's good in any era. Look at him; he's a classic-looking wrestler. You don't get that every day. No, there are some guys. It, it's it's rare, but you do see that just that throwback quality. Another guy that, not to the same degree, but I mean, you look at Timothy Thatcher, and he mm-hmm. just looks like he's you know out of Burns Camp in 1979. <laughs> I know exactly. Just these guys, these rugged guys, these throwbacks. I'm, I'm a big fan, of course. Um, so again, ProWrestling.net, don't forget the uh, Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Uh, you recently talked to one of my favorite guys, Court Bauer. I'm rooting for MLW on this restart. Big fan of what they did. I, I told Court, I said, when you came, they come to Chicago in the Cicero area in Chicago. And I said, you know, you guys ran against the Cubs and Sox, and I was very concerned with you because that's a big rivalry and for baseball, and you, stu- and you still sold out. I was shocked by that. He didn't even realize that the Cubs and Sox were taking on one another. I said, yeah, on that Saturday where Cub fans and Sox fans fight each other in the stadium, uh, <laughs> you sold out. So, I mean, that, so MLW's rolling along. I'm, I'm really happy for their success. Well, now we have to really give him a hard time. I mean, you're the promoter court. How do you not know that's happening in the town you're running? Shame on him. <laughs> no, exactly. No, he's a great guy, definitely. <laughs> uh, Jason, as always, I, I appreciate your time. I just want to reach out to you for some of these great storylines for 2020 and hope to talk to you again soon. I sure hope so. You take care of yourself. Always great to catch up with Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net. So, Jim Hurd. For the first time in almost 20 years, the former WCW executive vice president, Jim Hurd, did an interview with Conrad Thompson, part of adfreeshows.com. And it may say in the title, Ad Free Shows, it might be ad free, but you got to pay for that. So I want to hear this interview and give you snippets of it just because I was very curious of the guy before Eric Bischoff took over at WCW, what he'd say about his administration. The Jim Hurd administration was very controversial, just like Kip Fry and Jack Petrick and Ole Anderson and all the other executives that led WCW along with Bill Watts and others. Um, as Eric Bischoff eventually became the executive vice president of 
uh, WCW. So Jim Hurd, who is, God, he's in his 80s now, but he does have some recollection of his time in WCW. How about this story about, as an executive, dealing with Sid Vicious? Listen. Tell me about Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious had been one of your top draws. He headlined Halloween Havoc 1990 against uh, Sting, and then... He eventually decided he wasn't happy and he wanted to take his stab with Vince McMahon in the WWF. And uh, I think he asked for a raise and said he wanted the summers off to go play softball, as silly as that sounds. And ultimately, he tries to give notice. You guys negotiate with him. You think you've come to terms on a new big number. And then he just comes into the office one day and says, I've changed my mind. I'm leaving. What do you remember about that with Sid Vicious? Sid Vicious had the greatest body of any of the wrestlers that we have ever had. I mean, he was an Adonis. And uh, I remember vividly uh, the day he uh, finally left after all the arguments and all of the, all of the negotiations and, and so forth. We, uh, we had, uh, in fact, one of the openings of one of his bouts, we had him uh, in limbo on a, with one light above him on a turntable turning around and around before he went into the ring. A spectacular opening as far as I thought. Sure. And uh, But you never could seem to satisfy Vicious. And he comes in my office and says, okay, Here's what I want, and you're right. He said, I want this some resolve. I want this much money. I want that. I want this. And he said, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to throw throw you out. That. The door was open on the 12th floor of the, um, my office. He said, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to throw you out that door on the 12th floor. And I said, if I can get to the pistol I have in my briefcase right there before you throw me out, I will blow your head off. And he turned around and left. That was the end of it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sid Vicious's head almost blown off by Jim Hurd. Wrestling, man. So many crazy wrestling stories. So what does Jim Hurd think about Ric Flair? And, of course, Chi-Town Rumble, February of 1989, I was there with my college buddies at the formerly called UIC Pavilion. And we were there to see Ricky Steamboat defeat Ric Flair, the first of three great matches that year of 1989. Some thoughts from Jim Hurd regarding Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. You take over in January and very quickly get George Scott. And, of course, he brings along Ricky Steamboat. By February, Ricky Steamboat has beaten the world champion Ric Flair. And that was a fantastic story and a tremendous match that happened there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But a lot of folks felt like this could have been a reaction to the research from the Jeff Carr report. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, he surveyed a lot of fans and, and they did a lot of um, testing with audiences. And for whatever reason, they didn't get a lot of positive feedback from Ric Flair. Did you feel like at that time in, in January and February of 89 that the company had become too reliant on Ric Flair? And you needed to create new stars. Well, <clears throat> there was a lot of lot of uh, controversy with Ricky. He, you know, I just saw Rick a month ago on some show. Oh, what's the guy's name? The bald-headed kind of guy. 
He's got a show on now. He interviewed Rick. Steve Austin. And and I looked at Rick's forehead and I said, they must have taken part of his ass and put it on his forehead because all those cuts, you know, were gone. And which is great. But uh, Rick... Rick was a guy that uh, that you couldn't control out in public. I mean, he did a lot of different things that we didn't agree with. Turner didn't agree with. And believe me, during all this time, you know, if you didn't get a pass from Turner, you got no pass at all because he controlled everything. And, uh, and uh, through me, and so I took... I took the lumps where they came, and of course, as long as I maintained his dynamic, which was was making making it rain dollars, so that he didn't he didn't interfere. Of course, at this time, the uh, the war would wage on uh, with with you guys and Vince McMahon. You sort of pick up where Crockett left off. Now he's going to run a big special uh on free tv to combat your pay-per-view that we just talked about with rick flair and ricky steamboat mm-hmm. so i think turner wanted to respond and counter program wrestlemania 5 with his own pay-per-view which is yeah. going to be called wrestle war i think it was called the ultimate gamble in theory with the idea being that turner had enough controlling interest with the pay-per-view companies that he could squeeze down vince's market share with wrestlemania Ultimately, it didn't happen, and there was a delay, and it happened the following month in May. Mm-hmm. How close do you think that was to actually happening? A head-to-head pay-per-view where WrestleMania wasn't nearly as widely available as the Crockett Show could have been. Well, it was a bad idea. Number one. Okay. <laughs> if you were if you were looking at the numbers and looking at the eyeballs and adding them all up and and uh, looking at Vince's. Uh, uh, Vince's show he said I'm not going up head to head against that man I'm going to find another slot somewhere right and so and it proved out to be that it did so you guys counter program it instead with a free Clash of the Champions special on TBS it was at the Superdome and unfortunately this is the end of George Scott I think the word was they had given it through he had given the directive for TV folks don't mention the clash it'll hurt our house show business so the result is a very disappointing rating and an even more disappointing house mm-hmm. a very nominal amount of people at the superdome oh, yeah, there was it was a very big disappointment oh wow okay so jim hurd continues there's heat or at least there was heat between jim hurd and rick flair uh, he talks further with conrad thompson about this listen so once uh, Sting goes down, you still want to move forward with let's take the belt off of Rick. And you tried to get Rick to agree to drop the belt to Luger, and Rick would not. And no. that caused quite a big blow-up between the two of you. I think that was your second big dust-up. I think up. that was the end of us, i tell you the truth. I think uh, uh, we were paying top dollar for Ricky. Uh, we had done most everything he ever wanted. Uh, and I, uh, I thought I had a good relo- working relationship with him, but you know he listened to a lot of the ideas, and some of it, uh, some of it came out that he didn't like, and he thought we were trying to diminish, uh, you know, his ability to, to make money. Ricky, I don't know if you knew what kind of shape Ric Flair was in. 
Ric Flair could wear out a Stairmaster. He could make a Stairmaster smoke. And he did it every day. He was in the best condition of any wrestler, with the exception maybe of the Steiners. And I know I mentioned the Steiners a lot because they were my favorites, but sure. Uh, he was in the greatest shape. Ric Flair could go 45 minutes with anybody. And uh, I appreciated the fact that he worked that hard. Uh, but he, I've gone to the gym and watched him make a Stairmaster smoke. So supposedly, uh, it's a bit of an impasse. Of course, Rick has control or creative control of when he's going to drop the belt, so he doesn't drop it to Luger. But it does happen at Great American Bash in 90. But a lot of people remember, even after the match, Rick is trying to ask for his release and go work for Vince. At that point, was the relationship fractured beyond repair, do you think, between yeah, the two of you? I think it probably was. I think I I may have not recognized it as such a... Um, because, you know, Rick in person, I mean, he could uh, hate you and walk in a room and and make you think he loved you. Yeah. I mean, he had that kind of personality. And I think Vince uh, Jr. and those guys thought that, hey, we can steal this guy. And, uh, and they did. <laughs> sure. Well, we'll get there. One of the things I wanted to talk about, though, is before Rick is out of there, once Sting is the champion, he needs opponents. And uh, you've tasked Ole Anderson with uh, booking the house shows and events and the angles. And one of the things he writes down, uh, supposedly, as Ole tells it, he brings you lots of things that you didn't like. And then he just wrote the word Black Scorpion. And you said, okay, that sounds good. But he literally had no idea who the Black Scorpion was going to be or how this would pay off. So no. it turned into hodgepodge different performers every night. Ole doing silly voiceovers. Yeah. Famously, it was allegedly supposed to be Al Perez, but he thought it would kill his career. Yeah. He didn't do much without the Black Scorpion. Maybe in hindsight, he should have. What do you remember about the Black Scorpion debacle that looks good on paper, but maybe not so much in execution? Uh, I don't know. I think it's probably, you know, in hindsight, uh, Ole was a mistake on my part, making him the booker. Um, because uh, Ole was mean. I mean, he was mean in the ring, and he was mean outside the ring. And, and so he didn't have a lot of wrestling friends. If you're not, if you don't have friends in the, in the dressing room, you don't have a lot of friends. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of, you know, my memory of Ole was, he was constantly in a battle with somebody. Whether it was me or the other wrestler or home. So just some snippets from Jim Hurd. Just interesting perspective from him. Uh, not a big fan of Ole Anderson. And again, these are names that are from wrestling's past. But point the point is, is though, is that WCW was a mess because they had too many bosses. Uh, the one constant with the WWE, whether you like it or not, has been Vince. Uh, Tony Khan is the constant for AEW currently. And so Jim Hurd is one of those guys that was in that uh, treadmill of mediocrity for WCW, an era in which I was watching. You know, I was there to see the trilogy, to see Flair and Steamboat in 89, uh, and to watch the metamorphosis of Sting in 1990 when Flair dropped the title to him. So it just... 
uh, it's on adfreeshows.com, and Conrad Thompson is doing a great job juggling all these different podcasts and all these different personalities. He's got a lot of shows on there, so I'm very happy for his success because Adfree Shows now has become a go-to for a lot of wrestling fans, a lot of different features on there as well. So he's built quite the podcast uh, empire for sure uh, in professional wrestling on adfreeshows.com. Okay, lastly, let me get to this. Arn Anderson has his own podcast on Westwood One. Arn Anderson, it's called The Arn Show. And every other week on The Arn Show, uh, Conrad Thompson, who is the host of the show, Arn is the the voice of the show, it's his show. Every other week they do questions, Q&A, with listeners. And so this came up. And I'm always listening because Arn is not necessarily forthcoming all the time about his days in the WWE. He was in the WWE for over 20 years as an agent, as a producer, right? And so he's no longer there, of course. He's working with AEW. If you're watching All Elite Wrestling, he's a producer and also a talent um, with that company. But he does, time to time, go back and, and talk about his days in the WWE. Listen to this question. What'd you think of the angle where Steve Austin pissed on you in 2002? And I have to admit, I even kind of forgot that that was a thing and had to go look it up. I guess at the time, Austin was in a bit of a feud with, uh, with Ric Flair over the, 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 the management style of the company, blah, blah, blah. Either way, he attacks you backstage. We see him off camera. You're wearing a white polo, and here comes the stream. Boy, Take me through that day where they come say, all right, here's what we're going to do today. Yeah, and two people that were heavily involved in it was Jack Lanza, who was like the backstage producer, and Austin himself. They both told me that they went to Vince individually and collectively and said, you know, this guy's really, really highly respected in the business with the boys and, and the, the audience as well. You know, this is really demeaning. I mean, can we do something else? Both got turned down flatly. Um, do I suspect foul play and a reason in his mind to be doing it? Yes. Will it be very easy for his case to be, well, we don't want to do it to Rick. It's almost like it's the same thing as if you went out, put Austin over and got him ready for Rick the next next big pay-per-view. You put him over clean in the middle. Same concepts, just a different way to do it, to go about it, would be his argument. It could be punishment for leaving the way I did in 80... Nine? Wait, really? But, you, th you think that this is Vince punishing you for 89? He waits a long time. Yeah, time's on his side. When he feels betrayed, he feels uh, like you've wronged him. And we were the very first guys to turn our notice in during that era. Uh, and... I know he didn't like it, and uh, you couple that with, you know, some other things, but uh, do I think that's a possibility? Yep, I know that he waits a very, very long time 
if he feels like you you have screwed him and uh i could possibly see that it was just so degrading and demeaning if you looked at it on the outside in i'm a guy that hey you know what popped up in my head when the first thing they said told me told me about it we want to you know austin pee all over you my wife and kids that's what i was gonna say do you give aaron a heads up that hey baby don't watch the show tonight yeah, their picture popped up right in my head, but that's the reason I did it and did it smiling because they're the ones I'm responsible for. And people may, you know, think that that's not true, but everything I've done in this business, every sacrifice I've made, every time I've had guys come to me that I respect and go, don't do that, you're Arn Anderson. You don't have to do that bullshit. Just tell them no. I went ahead and did whatever was requested. Take care of my family. That's my first responsibility on this earth. And hopefully I will be able to see it through and uh, make sure that I keep taking care of them for a while. But I honestly believe that could have happened because it was just so personal. But I've heard Jim Ross talk about stuff like this a lot. Do you think Vince sort of pardon the phrase, gets off on humiliating guys and trying to push the line and see what he can get away with? Well, he knows. I mean, it's not even a question in his mind. Anything that he comes up with that is his idea that he wants to do for whatever reason, you can say no, find other employment. Mm. If If you don't say yes and do it with a smile, you may do it, but do it with your teeth gritted. He's going to know that. And it's like you didn't even do it at all. Punishment's going to be the same. He wants a blind obedience in all of his requests. And he doesn't want you to have your own opinion unless it runs parallel to his. So there was not a big argument. I know that Jack and Austin went individually and went collectively and just said, you know, it's just, it's one of those that goes over the line. I think there were more people hurt and more people pissed off about it than I was. How screwed up is that? How shitty is it to be a WWE employee when you have to go through something like that? Yeah, that's Arn Anderson, and that's part of the Arn Show. You can find that wherever you download your podcasts. I'm just shaking my head right now. You can't see me on this podcast, but I'm shaking my head of how horrible that is. That's Arn Anderson. And what he was referring to is the first time that he was in the WWE, he was part of the Brain Busters tag team with Tully Blanchard. Bobby Heaney was the manager. And the story goes is that The WWE was going through some financial issues, even though they were buying up all of the talent across the country. And Tully and Arn wanted to get paid uh, a lot more than they were when they left Jim Crocker Promotions in the NWA. And they got similar money or maybe less than working the territories for Crockett in the Carolinas. And uh, Vince was, they went to Vince McMahon and Arn and Tully said, hey, we want to be paid this. And Vince like, okay, we'll we'll get you your money. 
like two or three months later, uh, the money's not there. And they said, okay, so we're making less or commensurate of what we made at Jim Crocker Promotions. And you said that we'd make more. And we're going to give our notice. And they bounced. And Arn went back to the NWA, back to WCW and Tully. Well, that's a whole different story. But the point is, though, is that there was a guarantee there from Vince saying that Arn and Tully would get paid. And they never did. And Arn and Tully left. And as Arn tells the story, there was a balloon payment that was owed that Vince did not give to Arn and Tully while they were there. But all of a sudden, there was checks that were cut months down the line after they had left the WWE. And Vince was a man of his word, but he had the money all the time. But just didn't give it to Tully and Arn when they really needed it after being on the road with 90 days out of 92, 90 straight shows, something like that for a tour. And Vince turned over the money much after they had left the company as if to say, hey, F you, I told you you you're going to get paid, but just not when you wanted it. Arn tells that story. And so of all the good you can think of Vince McMahon, there's also a vindictive side and a petty side. Uh, that is unbearable for me as a wrestling fan. And I can imagine it must be pretty tough if you're a wrestling um, star, if you are someone that works with or for Vince McMahon. Next Tuesday, another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Let me know what your thoughts are on this episode of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Follow along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. That's WrestlingTWT or the YouTube page, YouTube.com. Love to get your feedback on every show we do every Tuesday right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Tuesday.